Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much this morning. I thank you for the words of that song. The reminder that though we're undeserving of you and, and lost in a life on our own, that in that moment, while we were still sinners, you died for us. And you rose again and gave us your power from your life. And, and you wanted to make us so we could be friends with you again, though our lives say otherwise. And so, God, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you. All that you have accomplished through your life and your death and your resurrection is all that we need. And so we thank you this morning and uh, today as we talk about who we are. Lord, let that be a truth that's rooted in the fact of what you, who you are and what you have done for us. So we thank you for this time now, God, and ask that you, we know you're present, but we ask that we would sense your presence. We ask that you'd speak to us in this place. And Lord, let my words be yours now. We give this time to you in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here. What a great way to start off the weekend, uh, to start off with music and just reflecting and worshiping God and reflecting on the truth about uh, his life, what he's done for us, and, and what that means for us. That is, uh, I, I love, that. I, I can't think of a better way to start the week, because Sunday actually is the first day of the week. So uh, it, it's a great way to get going. Well, this morning, uh, as you notice, as outside, we are having what we call our ministry fair, as Bill mentioned a little bit earlier. And our theme for this is, this is who we are. And the idea is, as you see the things that are going on, we once a year want to give you a picture of a lot of the things that happen here at Seacoast and the things that, uh, that we do in a way to become who we are. And, and we want to just, I just want to make one disclaimer that all of those things out there, that's not who we are, but those are tools and vehicles that are part of who we are, that they lead towards the church we want to be. And so, but I encourage you to go buy all the booths, find out uh, what's going on. If you do take food for, from one of them, you have to volunteer in that ministry. And, and so... Just kidding. Um, but there's a, a lot of great opportunities, and I do want to encourage you to check out, if you do see all this, and especially if, if you've been a part of Seacoast, it's your church home, and you see all that happens to do what we do as a church, and, and maybe this is a great opportunity for you if you have not gotten involved before and you're not serving somewhere to see, wow, if we're doing that much, maybe there's some areas where you can jump in, and, and uh, that would be great for that this morning. So we are talking about who we are. Now, we're in a world now where people, we project images of who we are differently than when I was growing up. It, it, it's, we can say who we are through the images that we want to put on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. I even saw on Snapchat, you can change your, um, is it called an avatar? What do you guys call it? The little icon that's running around. Your bitmoji. Okay, so that, when that, well, come on, man. It's all right. So, that even, they even changed that based on what they're doing, like one of my sons put on um, the, uh, when they had the eclipse. It did it for you? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Do you, it, does it always do it for you? Right, let's start the sermon over so I sound smarter. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that it changes, well, so I didn't know that. So it, never mind. They don't project an image. Snapchat will project the image of who it thinks you should be for you, which is, that's fine. That fits too. All right, so. 
So everywhere you go, it's projecting an image, and we try to say this is who we are based on what we want people to see. Now, back in the day, we had to do it with still cameras, and, and a lot of it is you'd get like your family photo and put it on the wall. Uh, my kids still like to, you go back to my parents' house, and there's like family photos of our family from the 80s, which there should have been a rule in the 80s that you cannot, if you take a family photo, you can't display it anywhere during the whole 1980s. And, and so, but we did. And I had really cool, like, plaid suits on and stuff like that. I mean, it was awesome. So, but that was how you used to say, this is who we are. And families, you, you use that to kind of project your image. That was how it used to be. Now, some families even try to get really creative, and they'd say, well, our family's into, you know, whatever we're into. We're into our pets, so we're going to incorporate our pets into the picture and, and stuff like that. That's the image, the snapshot of who they are. So, I just thought for this morning to start off, I... I did some research, and um, maybe you're, many of you are probably familiar with this, but there's, there's a website called Awkward Family Photos. And, and, and in a moment, I'm going to show you a few of these, but I need to make a couple disclaimers. First of all, these photos were submitted by the families, okay? We didn't hack into Olin Mills and steal these and say, like, this is a good one to show. So I'm going to show some of these, but these were self-submitted by families. So we're not, we're not picking on anyone. They gave it to us. Secondly... If any of these photos that we show today are your family, <laughs> Jesus loves you, we love you, you're part of the, you know, it's great. <laughs> so let's look at a few of these here of images here. So when we project, so a family likes to say, this is who we are. You know, this, this is a family of, of apparently Trekkies. And, and, and so, you know, it's like, hey, they're proud of that. I'm sure it's still hanging on the wall in their room. Okay, next one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's awkward about this one at all, but apparently parrots and guns, you know, I mean, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> if you like your pets and you can't hold them all in your hand, just superimpose their images. Again, hold on. If any of you have a very similar picture hanging in your walls right now, it's okay. Embrace it, love it, we love you. All right, what else do we have here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The baby was saying, what am I into? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, there's not even anything I need to say. I mean, we have any more? Is that it? Oh, yeah. And if you like fur, <laughs> go ahead and, uh, <laughs> I love that. And of course, wait, I do think they go to this church. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> and, oh yeah, and there's, there's a very awkward picture of a family right there. Of, uh, <laughs> we're good. So uh, that is just some uh, family photos, some awkward people, and uh, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes we, so we project images of who we are, and yes, we could spend all, money, all morning looking at those. I got to admit, it was very distracting doing sermon prep and looking at awkward family photos, <laughs> trying to find some good ones for you. But, uh, but the image, sometimes we say, this is who we are, and we, put it in, and we put it out there. So the question for us today as a church, if we were to say, this is who we are, and put it into a picture, what would it look like? Now, the one thing I love about about 
church in general, the family of God, followers of believers, is the picture, it would, it would have all of that in one frame. You, you would have those who are into, to, into Star Trek and, and into Marvel and, and other of those kind of ridiculous things. And uh, you'd have maybe next to someone who's wearing their, their Buffalo Bills jersey and, and maybe next to someone who um, is holding a gun and their kids are holding guns and parrots. And, all of, and so you have all these people together with different ideologies, different lifestyles, and you would also, the, the beauty in the church is you would have white people next to black people and brown and Asian, and you have all, the whole spectrum together in the picture. And that would be the church, and, and fortunately that's also this church, and I'm sure that if we had you put your image of who you are on a screen, we would have a very wide array of interesting ideas and interesting things that you would say, this is who we are, and you put it all together, and that's a picture of the church. But this morning what I want to do is take even a bigger view of that, knowing that we're a hodgepodge of broken people with different perspectives and different things we like and different uh, political ideas and all of that together. But what is the one big picture of who we are as a church? And so we want to talk about that a little bit today. And I also want to say the things we're going to share with you, you hear throughout the throughout the year. Today is just a reminder of this is who we are. So it, it, and if you say, wait, I thought you've been talking about this all year long, that should be true because it is who we are, not just today. And uh, as Matt often says, is we don't want to tell you a thousand different things. We want to find a thousand different ways to tell you the same thing. And that is all about our identity, who God is and who we are. And so this morning will, for many of you, if you're part of Seacoast regularly, it will sound like review and that's okay. Because this is who we are. So I want to start off, in the very beginning, it's we want, who we are is based on Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It starts off when Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this idea that Jesus, one of his final commands he gives to the church is, you, as a disciple, which we're going to define that in a moment, that's a nice church term, you, as a disciple, go and make disciples in all the world. A way we can think of it is this, so who are we? We are disciples, or we're followers of Jesus making disciples. At the, the core of who we want to be as a church, that's it. We are disciples making disciples. And what we mean by that is disciple literally is a student. The word is translated to be student. It's somebody who learns the words and the ways of Jesus and, and the more we learn the words and the ways of Jesus, it becomes we want to be more and more like Jesus. That's the essence of what a disciple should be. is someone who, as we learn about Jesus, we become more and more like him. I believe, and we as a church believe, that this is a lifelong process. That you have not arrived yet. Some of you are much further down the road than others. Some of you... Um, are, are just getting started. Some of you are still saying, I'm trying to figure out what this looks like just at all. And that's okay. But we're all disciples. Some just maybe have been around and have been shaped by Jesus for a little bit longer. Now, so we're all disciples. We're all students learning about Jesus. And we want to be pe- disciples making disciples. Here's the thing. You are all a disciple of something and someone. You are all learning and being trained and shaped by something or someone. And at the church, we want it to be Jesus Christ. I believe you are all discipling somebody. You are teaching something to other people. 
about how to interact in the world, about what you believe and how to live, people will watch your life and they're learning from you. There's a famous phrase that talks about if you want to know who a person really is, don't listen to what he or she says, but watch what he or she does. People are watching us. We're making disciples of something. So as a church, we want to be a church of disciples who are followers of Jesus, becoming more and more like him as God works and shapes and chains our heart, making disciples. That is the core of who we want to be. Now, we say it in this way. This is our purpose, and this is based on this. Our purpose is this. We exist to help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. This is our way of taking that language and making it very simple to see. That I can take it to my friends who I coach with, my people I play basketball with who have no association, some of whom have no association with church, Christianity. I can say, this is why we do what we do as a church, and they can understand it. We exist to help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. That learn to follow him piece for us is that's that idea of discipleship, of learning Jesus' ways and becoming more and more like him. We We believe that as you discover life in Christ, the natural outflow is we start to, we learn more and more about what it means to follow him, the more we discover life in Christ. And when we say discover life in Christ, this is, a, this is what we mean by discipleship. It's a lifelong process. Each stage of your life, it's going to look a little differently. I uh, now have a senior in high school. We, we were talking this weekend about what, what's next, college, stuff coming up. And my wife and I are getting ready to enter a new phase of life where we have to s- discover what life in Christ looks like when our kids start getting older and start leaving the house. So he's a senior in high school, so we know that in the next one to ten years he'll be moving out. And, 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 and we need to get to the point where it's going to, life is different for us now. There's a different set of identity. And, but Jesus Christ applies to that part of our lives now. He, it applies, and, but it's going to be different. So we're discovering what life is now. Now that there's, oh, we have to release and, and allow our kids to go and, and, and to learn their own things and make their own decisions and, and all of those things happen and they get to pay their own bills and, and all of that. We get to discover what life is like in that. It happens and it's something that we do as we live throughout our days for all of us. We believe that this happens, we become more like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to let Christ live the, his life through us. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But So this is who, what we want to be as a church. People who are discovering life in Jesus every step of the way and learning to follow him. Another way we've been talking about this lately is we want to be people who are we're moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in all areas of life. There's time, and that's that discovering life. A lot of us believe that he'll save us from our sins, but we don't believe that we can trust him with our finances. We believe that Jesus is enough to provide maybe our identity in life, but maybe he's, is he's also enough to trust him that he has our kids in his hands. And all of those things, we're moving from belief, uh, unbelief towards belief, discovering, oh, there's life found in Christ. So more and more we believe and trust in his character and his goodness. And now I think is a time when people need Christians who are finding life in Christ, to bring this life to others. You look around, as, as we mentioned and prayed for earlier, you have a couple of natural disasters in the last couple of weeks in our own country. We have you know, a couple of hurricanes. You have an earthquake down in Mexico. These fires going up crazy in the northwest and through Montana. And you can look at all this 
And we can just say, oh, yeah, these are things that happen. Let's pray. But how does Jesus now affect and, tr- and change his followers? How do followers of Jesus interact with these things in the world? What can we learn from Jesus? What would he do? We learn things like when he fed the 5,000, he took care of the needy when he was tired. When he, when he could have said, you know what? I've been with you people all day. I need just a little me time. So I know you're hungry. I know you're in need, but I, come on. I've given you enough. But scripture tells us Jesus had compassion. He saw them and his heart broke and he had compassion and he met a need. That should inform us when we see disasters. That's why I love so many of you said, how can we respond? How can we help with this hurricane relief? What can we do? That's the heart of Jesus. That's the life of Jesus lived through us to say, hey, we're already taxed, but you know what? Here's somebody who needs something. Jesus informs that. How does Jesus inform the issues that we're facing today? We have immigration issues. We have racial issues in our country still. The life of Jesus in us as we discover him should inform that and should change how we interact as a church, as Christians in the world. We can look at the life of Jesus and see how he interacted with people of different races. A race that actually his own people hated because they were born and had the wrong mix of blood in them, the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were not pure. And Jesus' own people said, we hate them because of who they are, how they were born, their, their culture, their race. We don't like them. And Jesus broke through those lines and said, that's not the way we treat people as, follow, as creations of God. So Jesus informs, as we learn to discover life in him, we see that we as Christians should be breaking those barriers and say, we will not stand for that kind of stuff. We will not stand for somebody being mistreated and, and facing injustice because of the color of their skin or where they were born. As Christians, we will engage with that because Jesus would have. And he'd say, we will not tolerate that. We are going to love. These are people created by God and loved by God. So we choose to not follow any, fall into any trap. And we're going to break those lines. That's how the life of Christ informs us and makes a difference in the world. That's what we mean when we say discovering life in Christ, learning to follow him, and how that starts changing everything. That's the kind of church we want to be as we discover him. So everything we do, everything you see outside today, all of this is designed to be moving us towards more and more like Jesus, to discover life in him, and to help others discover life in him. Okay? So let's look at one verse today. Again, sort of review. But this is where we get some of this idea of discovering life in him. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is, is kind of towards the end of your Bible here. It's a letter written by Paul. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. Just one verse for us today. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul's writing, and, and you're always welcome to use, if you have a digital version of the Bible, or if you need your own Bible, we have them available in the back of the room. And if you do not have one of your own, that is our gift to you. Please take it. We'd love for you to have it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I want to look at just one verse today. And this is, the, this is written by Paul, and this kind of gives us our idea of what it means to discover life in Christ. What it means to be his disciple. What is the core of this? And you've heard it before if you've been around. But we want you to know this. We want you to understand this. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. We want to look at what it, how does this have to do with discovering life in him? And there's a couple things that I want to break it down to. The first part, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. The first part we find in discovering life in him that we need to see is this affects our, who has the position of authority in our lives. If we want to discover life in Christ, we need to recognize, first of all, that our old self, our lives, our desires of who we are gets in the way of the life that Christ wants for us. So Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. Obviously not physically, he wasn't crucified with Christ. He's saying my old life, my old self has been killed. It is now gone with the life of Christ. It is, is crucified with him and it's no longer the old self that lives, but Christ in me. And this has to do with position in your life. Who is king in your life? You see, most of us prefer to be king. Most of us want to be in charge of all things. Paul's writing here to truly discover life in Christ, the life of a disciple is someone who recognizes that the throne belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds like a simple thing to say, but not always easy to do. You see, because the king has the right to judge. The king has a right to pass judgment and decide who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong. The king is the one on the throne. We want that role. We like to have that role. That's the very essence of the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve wanted to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil because they wanted the right to sit like God and say, we're going to make judgments. We want that power because usually that power means that we can make ourselves feel a little better. Because we often don't pass judgment on ourselves as harshly as others. We leave that position to Jesus. He's king. What else? If he's king in your life, what does that look like? What things need to go away? Once you have kids, often, I use this example all the time because I think it's so relevant. Is when we have kids, it's easy to say, God, I trust you with all areas of my life, but I'll take care of the kids. Can you please make sure they're safe? but I need to control their thoughts. I need to make sure they make the right decisions. I need to make sure they make the right spiritual decisions. I need to make sure that uh, I approve of all their um, relationships, all their friends, and, and, and someday their girlfriends and all of that. And, and I'll, I'll decide these things, God, because I, I know better, and I do know better than my kids. I know a lot better than them. So, um, <laughs> but we as parents want to be king of their lives. Now, there's authority, of course, that doesn't mean that they're in charge, but how, which of those areas do we need to trust and say, Jesus, I need you to be king. I need to lay this before you. I need to trust you. Now, I'm going to do my best to leave a good example to my kids of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to do the best I can to not give them a reason to run away from the church or from God, the way I live, the way I interact with them. I'm going to do my best to show them that we're all messed up, we're all broken, we're going to make mistakes, but that's okay that we can be forgiven and move on. But ultimately, Jesus, I need to trust their lives in your hands. That is a hard thing to do. And we live, I didn't grow up in the world of helicopter parents. My parents were not helicopter parents. I think my parents were like, you're at summer camp parent. They're just like, okay, raise yourself, you'll be fine. Um, But nowadays, right, there's this temptation to watch, to literally hover over your kids. I coach youth sports. I know what that looks like. Where the parents are there and they're hovering and you tell them, hey, uh, you know, you put your arm here, swing the bat there. And they're in the stands going like, lift your elbow, do this, twist around. Like, shut up. That's not, no. 
That's not even how you do it. But they, they, we want to be involved and control everything. It's how we are. We want to be involved and control everything in our relationships. Can we trust these things to God? I know for some of our single adults, being single is difficult. It's difficult. It's hard not to try to kind of force God to do what you need him to do. God, I've been faithful to you. I've been patient. Would you just send the right person into my life? And that person looks like the right person, so send them my way. Do your love potion thing, whatever you need to do. It's not easy to trust God in those areas. But can Jesus be king of your relationships? We say, Jesus, I, I surrender to you. I hand this over to you. Here's my desires. Here's what I want. You know I can't hide that from you anyway. But truthfully, I need to surrender to you. Can he have that position in your life? So when we're crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me means we give up the throne. Jesus is the one who lives his life through us. We submit to him. We allow his life to dictate. That even goes to the desires I've often shared, moving towards a person who maybe has a, a short temper and an anger about everything to becoming someone more patient. That's an example of God. I trust this over to you. Isn't it amazing the little things that we can get angry about throughout the week? Any angry drivers in here? Raise your hand for your spouse or the person sitting next to you. <laughs> I often, I, and for me, sometimes, some, some days, that's a big issue, and I, I realize at the end, that's all about control. It's all about want. That person doesn't know that I need to get there two seconds faster. <laughs> Can you trust? Can we be people who, want, who hand the throne over to God? So the first thing it, it, about crucified with Christ, we die to self, and Christ lived his life in us. We hand over that position of, uh, the position of authority in our lives. And the second part of this I want you to see is this. The second part of that verse, he says, The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself up for me. He loved me and gave himself up for me. So we understand about what God thinks of you. He loves you. He gave himself up to you for your sake, for your life, to bring you life. But look what he says. The life I now live in the flesh, I'm alive, I'm physical, I still live. I live by faith in the, in the work of Jesus Christ. How many of us have got that first part right? Jesus, I want to surrender to you. But the second part is, and now the rest of my life will be my power, my control. My life lived. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I have sin issues, so God, I'm just going to dig deeper and get out of it. I've often shared, I grew up the son of, a, both my parents were farmers. My dad is a Green Beret, and the mantra around our house was, you'll live. That's what I heard about everything. Deal with it. If you don't like it, we'll deal with it. Dig yourself out. Work harder. No one's going to help you. You've got to help yourself. That was our world. So that translates into our spiritual lives. A lot of us think we just need to be better, try harder, dig deeper. And what does that lead to? Frustration, exhaustion, shame, guilt. God, I did it again. I messed up again. I thought I could do this. But Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. By believing that his power is enough. By trusting in his work on the cross is sufficient for me today, tomorrow, and forever. My mistakes in the future, he's already taken care of. 
My identity is already taken care of. It doesn't change based on that. And so I have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And I don't put faith in my ability to be better, to change myself. Do we want to be changed? Yes. Our friend over at uh, North Coast uh, Church in Vista, Larry Osborne, often says, come as you are, but for God's sakes, don't stay that way. (laughs) God wants you to come as you are, but as we allow his, through faith in Jesus Christ, his work in your life, you will naturally begin to change. When we have trust that Jesus is providing what we need, when he works through our lives, when we surrender that position, when we say, God, I'm doing it again, I'm, I'm struggling with my anger again. I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with lust. These things, God, it's in my life again, and I can't do this. I want to surrender the throne to you and believe that you are enough. Would you be enough and live your life through me today, Jesus? And eventually we start getting chipped away. That old self dies, and the new self lives. And we start discovering life in Christ and find that those old patterns never really gave life in the first place. We're free to be different people. So when we say this is who we are, that's what we mean. We want to be a church filled with people who are discovering life in Christ. And we're learning to follow him as Christ lives his life through us. We're surrendering the throne in our lives. And we're trusting in his work to change us. That is a very quick picture of who we are. A snapshot. Now there's a few things that I want to take all of that and say there's things that we want to define us practically as a church. We talked about these uh, last January. We did a whole series called Converge, but I want to remind you of some of them because we believe that these, what we call our vision statements, the type of church we want to be, this happens as more and more of us are discovering life in Christ. And so let me just show you some of the phrases here. These are, uh, when we talk about our vision, it is uh, we dream of being a disciple-making church that, and, and then there's a few statements here. One, that reaches those who are lost or wandering in their faith. We believe that as we discover life in Christ and, and learn to follow him, that we should be defined as a church. If, if someone said, what defines your church five years from now, ten years from now, one year from now? It is, oh, that's a place that's reaching the lo- those who are lost and wandering in their faith. And what I mean by that is, is some of you in here might be the lost ones. <laughs> You're here and you say, I don't know what I believe. You know what? We believe God loves you so much and we believe you're not here on accident. And we believe that there's a life available to you. And we want you to discover the life in Christ that many of us have already discovered. We pray for you. We love you. We care about you. And we want you to discover the life that we have. When we talk about those wandering in their faith, this is often those who, who believe, maybe grew up, but have wandered away. And I meet more and more people who this defines them very well. Some of you are those who are wandering. We believe that God wants to welcome you home. We want to be a church for you. The other statement, the next statement is this. We want to be a disciple-making church that provides refuge for the broken and the hurting. We want to be a place where you can come broken, where, you can, where your friends can show up messed up. We, we say, hey, come as you are because we all are in process. We want to be that kind of church. One of the things that is a joy to me is our campus is used almost every night of the week for recovery groups because we want to be a place where people can come and find refuge. The world's tough. And so that's working on broken addictions, might be broken relationships, all of those things. We want to be a safe place for people to come as broken people and find refuge. We believe that that, being followers of Jesus calls us to be that. 
The next thing is this. We want to be people who shine the light of Jesus in our community. That's why we do so much of what we do. We say, go When you leave here, you're going to be in your world, with your family, with your neighbors, at work. We want to be people who shine the light of Jesus in our community. That's what it means to help people discover life in him. As they see us, they are learning who Jesus is as they look at your life. Sometimes that's a scary thing. Some of my friends have learned some very good characteristics of Jesus, and they've seen other things where they thought, oh, how does that fit? I had a conversation last night with a, a friend of mine who said he doesn't uh, really believe, and, and he gave me the reasons, and they were pretty standard. Because when I read the Bible and I looked at people who said they believe in the Bible, it didn't seem to match up. And so he struggles to believe. I said, yeah, I don't blame you for that. But we want to be people who shine the light of Jesus in the community, so we're actively engaged. The uh, next one is this. We want to be a church that multiplies disciples, leaders, groups, and gatherings. We believe that this is not meant to be our social club where we can get to know each other and huddle and say, this is about us and no one else. We believe that God calls us to multiply. That's why I said, disciples making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. If this really is good news, it's good news for everyone. And so we want to be a church that's actively engaged and multiplying. And, then, and, and this doesn't mean to become a mega church, by the way. This doesn't mean to become really big and famous. This means that we are sharing the life of Jesus with others. And, and actually, we will have goals eventually at, at some point that we will maybe launch new churches so that we don't get so big that we lose sight of what we want to be and we lose sight of our local community. But it has to do with multiplying. And, and, then, and, and by the way, that's why we do teams here, why we have different worship leaders, why we have a teaching team. Because it's not about one person holding all the power. It's multiplying and giving it out. It's, it's seeing the family of God grow. The next thing and the final thing is this. We want to be a disciple-making church that invests in future generations for Christ. We believe that we need to be very intentional about looking at our children and our youth and saying they not only are the future, but they're the church today. And we will do whatever we can to give them an opportunity to grow up loving and knowing Jesus. And that's what we're about. We spend more money on our children and youth than we do on some of you adults. Sorry. (laughs) We need you to help us with that. We need you to jump in and help. In fact, you know, right now our our children's ministry could use some more help. This sermon is not intended to be a recruiting sermon, but I want to just share with you that Devin, who's our children's leader right now, she's a little discouraged because she can't get enough help. We're we're shrinking classrooms right now because the number of classes, there'll be more kids in each of them because we just don't have enough help. If God has gifted you to work with kids and you just come each week and say, well, but my schedule's kind of tough, can you find some margin to jump in and help? If we're a church that actually wants to love our future generations and invest in them for Christ, I want to ask you as a pastor in this church, would you be willing to say, I can give, I can give a couple weeks a month. I can give of myself. That's, I, in fact, I kind of like it. We would love to have you join in with that. To us, this is so important that it's worth me stopping, my stopping and talking about it. Invest in our future generations. The same thing with, if you say, I can't do wi- weekends, or Thursday mornings, we have a mops ministry. We need more people to jump in and help with our kids on mops. There was, I don't know how many women came this week, how many, we had a bunch of new ones. And in our, in our MOPS ministry, this is reaching the lost. This is providing refuge for moms. <laughs> As if moms of preschoolers need refuge, right? <laughs> yeah, this is providing refuge. It's providing, it's reaching some. And you know what? They bring their kids 
we don't want them to have their kids with them when they're trying to get refuge. We need help on Thursday morning, so maybe that's, that's a time when you can help as well. So that's my only volunteer plug I'm putting in this whole sermon, all right? We believe, and I want to invite the worship team to start making their way up. We believe if we were to give our family picture as a church, the image that we project that is who we are, our desire that it's a bunch of oddballs, which is you and me, who are all being shaped and changed by Jesus and discovering life in him. And I believe when the world sees that picture, that is the most compelling, it might be awkward, (laughs) but it's going to be the most compelling picture that anyone will ever see. Do you want to be a part of that? I want to thank those of you who are a part of that, who've been a part of that. Some of you are relatively new and still dipping your feet in the water of seacoast. Some of you have been here for a long time. You've been faithful. You've been generous. You've been a servant. I want to thank you for being a part of that. It is such a joy for me to hear the stories of people discovering life week after week. And trust me, there's been a lot of them. You're a part of that. Maybe you're wondering if you want to be a part of it. We want to invite you. Let's be that church where Christ is lifted up, more of him and less of us, to change the world that we live in, your family, your community. So we're going to end with one final song here, and let's just pray as we move into this final song. God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for a reminder of who we are. I thank you for the reminder of of the image that we sometimes project is not always true, but Lord, we want to project an image of people who are being transformed and changed by you. And, and God, so we thank you for every person in here. I thank you for each individual story. I thank you that you have forgiven us, that you've removed our shame and our guilt, and you've given us a new identity and a new life. I thank you that you give us the power we need to live this new life as you live it through us. And so, God, this morning we give this time to you. And Lord, we together as a church say this is who we are and it's all about who you are. And that makes us rejoice and celebrate. So God, we thank you for this time and give it to you now. In your name, amen.